Hey, y'all. Welcome to Local Hour 2 here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, the Sunday, August 7th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Preds Power Hour and Go Beyond Friday got pushed back a little bit. Uh, Saturday was kind of crazy on my end, so uh, we're was only able to get up Atlanta sports guys um, with Garrett Chapman. Uh, so I apologize on a slight delay here. Uh, but generally speaking, every single week, uh, look out for the local hour uh, program where we get Preds Power Hour, Go Big Orange Friday, and Atlanta sports guys on a Saturday morning ready for you uh, heading into the weekend. So uh, just a little bit of a scheduling snafu uh, this weekend. But We've still got a jam-packed Sunday show for you guys uh, with this. Uh, sports reporters who have indeed reassembled. And uh, yeah, go back on Friday. And Preds Power Hour. So a lot of fun uh, for you guys on this Sunday. Uh, thank you as always for making the Chase Homes Podcast part of your day listen, wherever and however you listen to this program. We greatly appreciate it. On today's edition of the show, we've got Go Big Orange Friday with Ryan Chumpert. Yeah. Rocky Top Insiders, Ryan Schumpert to talk about uh, all kinds of stuff. We got a uh, big transfer from Cincinnati and uh, Tennessee baseball, Lynn J. Dixon coming in from West Virginia, Brew McCoy, uh, Bumpus. We got Stan Ramil choosing Michigan State. We got Camden Sewell returning to Tennessee, uh, the Butler matchup with Tennessee basketball. A lot of fun stuff uh, with Ryan on all things Tennessee uh, athletics here to kick things off on a Sunday. So hope you guys enjoy, as always, and Uncle Darren. Let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello. Welcome back. Go Big Orange Friday on a Friday afternoon. Uh, it is a special day because it is day one of Ethan Stone as a married man. We assume that that all went well, right? Like I have not heard from him since yesterday, Ryan. Did you go? I did go. All, did he all say yes? Well. She said yes? They both said yes. Everything. Okay. Uh, beautiful ceremony. So shout out to Ethan and Aaron. The, uh, it was uh, it was a good time, and I I saw from his uh, his snap story this morning looked like he was on the plane headed to Hawaii. So it uh, looks like everything is is off and going well on a day one of marriage for our, our friend Ethan. Shout out to him. He, that the Hawaii honeymoon that's a clutch one. We've thought about that one. That's not too bad. Yeah, it's big time. That's it's a long a, that's flight a though. It's a that long is, flight. That's a, a long travel day. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was. I don't know. It was before I woke up. It looked like six o'clock maybe when he was on that first plane, and I imagine he's still. Got a couple hours ahead of him on the travel for today, so not well, a fun when you day. Say, you, when you say woke up, you you you're an early riser, and you're one of those people grinding pretty early on. So you were taking like your first power nap of the day um, at that point yeah. when you saw it, because you started what four four thirty? Yeah, three forty five. First alarm, <laughs> then four. Got up, got a little workout in. Yeah, you know, hit the gym as I do. Make breakfast, do a little work, and then pop some Dr. Peppers. Pop a couple of Dr. Peppers after the workout. Yeah, to really fuel my body, <laughs> and then uh, and then get a little nap in until about eight eight thirty, and then that's when I woke up and saw that Ethan was uh, Ethan had been on the flight. Yeah, if you want to see something uh, special, folks, go see Ryan Shepard at a Littons and see how many Dr. Peppers this man can oh, yeah. can put down. He's a Dr. Pepper guy. I can guzzle those things down uh, unbelievably. Uh, shout out to. Ryan and Ethan on that front, but also just Ethan. Uh, we wish you nothing but the best man. Safe travels, sir. And congratulations. And we'll talk to you soon. Um, we have some stuff to talk about here, Ryan. Lots happened uh, in the two weeks away. We didn't do a show last week because there was nothing. Like I thought about it and I was like, there is nothing. I was We were scraping the bottom of the barrel if we were trying because it was like this weird, rare lull where I was like, I just, I don't see it. Like nothing's happening um, in any of the sports. And then we have just a lot 
coming down the pike this week. Um, have you been going to camp every day? Have you been? Yeah, I have been. Yeah, that's okay. the nice part today. It was the first day they haven't practiced. So mm. I've been there over there since Sunday, and then we'll be uh, back tomorrow. And I believe it's Tuesday when they have their first scrimmage. Uh, put the full mm. pads on on Sunday, and I think either Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, first scrimmage of, of the fall. And then I feel like once you kind of get to that point, you start to get a, a little bit better feel of things as they they start trying to, to figure out who's going to play where and, and what the depth chart looks like and all that good stuff. So what stood out to you uh, in the first week? Has there been anyone that's popped more for you? Have you been have you just found yourself watching and keeping up with one position group? What what has stood out to you in week one? I think a couple things. One, I think when you look at the receiver room, uh, and again, there's only so much you can draw from the the obligatory have to say, we got to watch about 50 minutes the first day of practice, and then it's been about 20 minutes since then. And Mm -hmm. we got a little bit of 11 on 11 the first day. Since then, again, it's all drills. But in the drills portion, uh, I think what stood out is the receiver rotation. Rue McCoy, uh, Jalen Hyden, and Rumel Keaton uh, are the star, have been the starters. Walker Merrill behind uh, Rumel Keaton, Callaway right behind Hyatt and then yeah Callaway and then Holiday the Jimmies as we talked about we'll never that's what I'm saying like it's ridiculous it's always going to be confusing and then Holiday behind Tillman but I I Mm. say all that to say uh, on the receiver front Brew McCoy down uh, in kind of the rotation on the first week I think some of that you know makes a lot of sense one he's not eligible yet two he's coming off uh, the hip surgery in the offseason and I think it's kind of an emphasis you're going to have to earn your spot and I think they're really trying to to push that on him and then on the other receiver note which has kind of been I feel like more buzz about him than anybody else is just how good Squirrel White's looked and a lot of that is you got to take it with a, a grain of salt he hasn't been when we've been out there repping with the ones a lot I think he's been getting some work in the rest of practice uh, with the ones but he's looked really good I mean the guys the freshman corners and safeties who've gotten matched up with him in drills they they can't really stay in front of him at all and I think that on the offensive side is what has stood out and then defensively I think more than anything is at least we'll see how as much as continues once they get on the full pads, once they get through a scrimmage, but a lot of emphasis on them having better depth. And I think really when you look at a defense back room, which we've discussed on here is probably at least in my estimation, the biggest concern going into the season. And those guys have to go out there and prove it. But I think they do have a lot of capable bodies and I think they have more depth there than they've had really for a number of years uh, and I'm seeing injuries are going to happen and, and that depth's going to get tested and, and it'll, it'll all kind of equal out some guys who look like they're going to factor now probably won't end up factoring, but I think they have options, more options there than I thought, or at least more strong options there than I thought. That doesn't mean those guys are going to come out and play really well. I mean, they still have to do that. You can have all the guys in the world and none of them can be good, but mm-hmm. uh, I think Tennessee has more options. And I think, especially when you look at really the four, the four transfers, two of them transferred in last year, Turnage and Haddon, both those guys, uh, I, there have been good things said about them and look good. And then the two guys that have come in this year and Wesley Walker and Andre. Wesley, my guy. Yes. Yes. And, and I think, uh, I think of those four guys, I'd be shocked if at least three, if not all four play a really big role in the secondary this fall. It's interesting. Like a lot of stuff you read, like fall class, rocket top insider, everybody else is like the rotations and everybody got stronger. It seems like everybody's just blown away that everybody looks bigger and faster. That's like a takeaway is everybody's body got better. Shocking that in a, yeah. <laughs> a, full, a full off season not happened, but no, you're right, and, and I do think the faster the faster part does stand out. Uh, I really think throughout the roster, and especially in the defensive back room with with mm. Walker and Turrentine, and then obviously Charles is he's in a red non contact jersey, but he's back out there after missing a lot of last season, and he was a guy that he doesn't get hurt in that Missouri game. I'm not sure he doesn't become one of Tennessee's most used guys 
in that defensive back room the rest of the season. So it'll be interesting to see. He's another one that uh, if he can get fully healthy, I'm really watching because he really, I think, took a, a step forward early in his freshman year and, and was going to have a chance to, to really make a big impact if it wasn't for that injury. What have you seen from Bumpus? Because he's someone who's been productive when he's healthy. Um, he seems healthy now with the loss of Matthew Butler. I feel like a lot comes down to what he is this fall, right? And just being able to stay, stay healthy. Well, I think one thing that stood out about him is that he's worked a little bit in both sessions, but he's really worked more on the outside in that strong side defense end spot uh, when we've been able to watch. It's kind of been him and Dominique Bailey, the guy behind Tyler Barron. I don't think that was a surprise. We've talked about that, but they need to get Tyler Barron and Byron Young on the field more today. Barron's added weight this offseason. He moves to the strong side. And yeah, Bumpus has been, when we've been watching, he's been the number two uh, behind him. And you're right. He's a guy that I feel like with the COVID eligibility rules, there's going to be so many of these guys like this. And I'm sure mm. we'll get into it in a minute with Lynn J. Dixon having two years of eligibility being the same way. It's like, how how is Latrell Bumpus still eligible to play college football? But he, you're right. He's a guy that's it's been effective. And uh, I think when you look at that defensive line room as a whole, I think you have a lot of guys that you know can make an impact, you know can factor and can be solid. It's who can do what Matthew Butler did last year, and which is really what you're getting at with the question, and take that step forward and be a real difference maker in the inside. And I think Bumpus is one of those guys that certainly has that in him. And it'll, it'll be interesting to watch. And I think maybe the name I would throw out there for that spot right now is Amari Thomas. He, he looks really good, and I think he could be in for a breakout year. Yeah, I uh, I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, 2017 is when he was recruited. Uh, this man is just <laughs> Lynn J. Dixon, which I think was 27 would have been 2017, maybe 2018 mm-hmm. recruiting class. A year younger, but the dude was committed to play for Butch Jones. <laughs> he was a Butch Jones commit. Obviously, goes to Clemson out of college, and now he is back at Tennessee after his prior commitment. I say once again, was to Butch Jones. That's insane. Also, we do need to talk about Lynn J. Dixon because uh, he comes in the building uh, over the weekend. I would love to know how many calls are going into the registrar office over the last couple of days. I, I want to know how this goes for like the late transfers and stuff like that, where, I mean, hey, classes, we still, Tennessee might benefit from this, where classes still don't start till literally like the 28th or whatever uh, this year. You're done with that, Ryan. You're, you're a graduate. You, you don't have to worry about any of that. Uh, my last semester here in grad school, but um i do wonder how that works so they're like hey, hey, hey we need this guy in here we're, we're really thin on the margin so whatever we got to do and they're like well every class is full and it's like well they're not because lynn j needs to be in some classes so what do we got to do we got to overload uh whatever the classes he needs but i just i was listening to people talk about just around campus uh last month of just like yeah i can't get my kid into anything because it's full and uh, like they got accepted and all this but their registration window was late so now these classes they need they can't get into and i'm like i wonder how that works for the football team i wonder what uh calls are made and are like hey just it technically full but we have two open spots in the portal so i need you to keep those two seats in that classroom open just in case we bring in somebody yeah someone tells me it's not a huge problem for the football program <laughs> getting those guys into classes and uh, you know it's funny you bring up the point of the, the, the late classes uh mm. here in the fall and actually helping them because Hey, I think we talked about it at the time. I think how late the, the January or the winter session, spring yes. session, I guess what I called started last year, really hurt them. Isaiah Nayer, uh, who knows if he would have been the – but he flipped the Texas after when classes would have normally started. Mm. And then obviously with the basketball program, you're playing a lot of games without students on campus in January. And then with the baseball program, was, they had to start practice a, a week later basically than they normally would have. So it's nice to see the late start maybe helping some things out on this end of it after – I couldn't hardly believe how did that 
I think I said it at the time. But I can't imagine if Nick Saban didn't want classes starting late in January at Alabama, I'm sure it would be. <laughs> and if it when it hurts the football program, that usually makes things change pretty quickly. So it'll it'll be interesting to see going forward. So what do you actually expect out of him? Because he was a good player early on in his Clemson days. Uh, bounced around. He was uh, had a cup of coffee in Morgantown. Um, not really sure what happened there um, and why he maybe it's just the Graham Harrell offense where it's like, OK, this is going to be uh, very, very pass, pass, pass. And this is just not where I need to be. Um, and Tennessee, like for whatever reason, like there's this miscon like a lot of people misconstrue the hypo offense where it's air raid. And it's like, that's not how this no. offense works at all. And um, I mean, just watch the tape of Tion Evans uh, this past year where it's like you you can thrive in this offense. It's a running back. And. I just I wonder because people are like, oh, it's Jabari Smart. I'm, I'm like, I think all four or five of these guys are going to play. Like, I just don't see a way where Dylan Sampson doesn't play some. I don't see a way where like injuries are going to be a part of this. Jabari Small is not playing 12 healthy games. That's not not a thing that's not going to happen. And they're going to have to get production out of their freshmen. And I think Lin Jay has the most upside because he I mean, he was a highly regarded prospect uh, four star uh, years ago back in the uh, Reagan administration. And he is, uh, you know, he he's interesting. He's shifty. He's a different kind of back than what Tennessee actually has in the roster right now, right? Yeah, he is interesting because I think when you look at what he did early in his Clemson career, you're playing behind Travis Etienne. It's kind of like this is a guy that could easily come in and be, you know, one B the Jabari Small and, and be Tennessee's second back and have a really big role, but. In his kind of Benjamin Button career, he hasn't, you know, he didn't do a whole lot his last few years Mm -hmm. at Clemson. I think an injury in there. And that's where I think at the very least it it was huge to get him with uh, Lenny Whitehead uh, being out for the season. That was already a position Tennessee wasn't very deep at. And then you lose one of your three returning scholarship guys before their first practice. And it was like, oh, my gosh, they're incredibly thin. And, you know, that was media day Sunday when Heifel said that. And then we kind of got done. People were hanging out in the – in the lobby and here walks in Lynn J. Dixon on his visit and everyone kind of looks around like, well, this makes a lot of sense. They need this guy. And I think that's where it, it, it was a really good pickup is uh, his ceiling. I think he's a guy who could be really good and be one of Tennessee's best backs this year. And it is worse. It's just a, another body that Tennessee really needs. And I think now I don't necessarily disagree with what you said about, you know, Justin Williams, Thomas and, and Dylan Stampson, those guys are going to play, but I think it's hard to ask both of those guys to be ready to, carry a, a sizable load and i think when you like just what you said about jabari small and his injuries if you didn't have lynn j dixon i think both of those guys you they need to be ready to play a, a lot because if anybody goes down they're gonna their number's gonna be called i think now when you add a lynn j dixon if both those guys meet the opportunity i think both of those guys will play but at the same time i think now you only need one of those guys uh, to really be able to step up and, and be able to play a, a lot of snaps as a freshman and then the other one uh, you know, I don't think uh, there's a whole lot of separation in those guys, at least from what I've seen early on. And I think at that point, you know, one of them can be in a little bit more of a spot role and then one of them uh, is a, in a bigger role. And I think it just takes pressure off of both of those guys adding Dixon. Interesting. Um, Stanton Ramil, kind of a shocker, goes with Michigan State. Uh, hope The hope was that Tennessee got two of the big four. Um, they do not. Uh, like we, I think, talked about two weeks ago. Still would not rule out Lucas Simmons, especially uh, with how Florida State season might go. And I think they're going to keep going after Lucas and we'll see what happens on that front over the next couple of months. But I don't know. How big of a whiff is it that Stanton Ramil picks uh, Michigan State, one of the highest uh, rated offensive tackles that Michigan State, I think, has ever actually had uh, going into East Lansing? Um, 
what what was that a surprise for you and how does Tennessee rebound no I mean I don't think it was maybe a small surprise not a big one I mean I kind of viewed it as Ramil and or for Ramil Tennessee and Michigan State being kind of neck and neck for a while and mm. I, but I do think it's a big miss and it's just what you said at the, at the beginning you know the four offensive linemen with Francis mm. uh, Simmons obviously they get uh, Sham from down in Georgia and then Ramil you needed to get two of those guys and you were only able to get one I think you're right I think Tennessee stays hard on Simmons and I think it's a lot of kind of evaluation now I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of those situations where those were very clearly the four guys they were going after an offensive tackle mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a situation where they kind of take a step back and they say all right let's look at some senior early senior season tape from some other guys see who we like uh, while continuing to pursue Simmons and I do think it's a big loss and I do think in a year where you know Alabama just has unbelievable talent in that state this season and Auburn is unbelievably down and Alabama isn't going to take all those guys. I think it's disappointing that you see Michigan State come in and go into Birmingham, get a kid from Thompson that Tennessee really wanted, and Penn State go into Alabama and get a defense alignment that Tennessee, Tamar and McDonald, the top uh, 100 rated defense alignment that Tennessee really wanted. I think that's the type of stuff that is really disappointing because there's there was an opportunity for those guys and you weren't competing against Alabama for them. You, know, you were competing against Auburn, but Auburn's down right now. You weren't competing against Georgia for those guys. Those are the guys – the Tennessee, those are the battles that Tennessee needs to get in there and win in a year where the state of Alabama is just overflowing in talent. And in most of those years, especially when Auburn is like it normally is, going down and getting any of the top 10 players in the state of Alabama is an incredibly difficult task. But in a year like this, I think there was real opportunity. And for Tennessee to lose a couple of those battles, I do think really stings. Yeah, I'm curious. Is there a name in the portal that makes sense uh, that's out there that they might bring in? I don't think so right now, at least not that I've seen, but I think mm. there's going to be, you know, there, you know, there's going to be names in the portal. And I think that's a really good point by you. Cause I would be shocked if that's something that doesn't end up happening. The Tennessee doesn't look to add uh, one, if not two bodies in the transfer portal, uh, tackle next season or next off season, just as they did this off season, bringing Gerald Mincy in. I also wonder, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I do wonder if there's, we get, to the point where the, if the offensive line does struggle and they have to move Darnell right back to left tackle because whoever they end up picking, whether it's Crawford Davis or uh, Mincy, they all don't pan out and they have to figure it out on the fly. If we're in that position, I wonder if there there's some heat on LRB going into next offseason. I wonder if there is uh, some pressure there to look, man, you got to close some of these like this is part of it. And if they don't develop and I mean, Cooper wasn't his guy. Uh, obviously, Darnell Wright wasn't his guy. Like, Sham's a big win, but you still got to recruit. and <laughs> You've got to recruit at the offensive line because, I mean, like you said, we've talked about, there was a point with the Pruitt era where it's like five five stars all across this offensive line. Um, Tennessee can do that, and I just, the offensive line is just too critical to whiff um, on a lot of these big names. So I think there's going to be some pressure on LRB uh, going, of, of, it's August 5th through the next four to five months, I think. I think you're 100% right. Uh, to me, I think you hit it dead on the money. When you look at, obviously, there's a lot of continuity on the staff, and I think Hypo wants to keep that. But when you look at guys that could potentially be on shaky shaky ground, I think LRP is probably the first guy that comes up just because mm-hmm. of the way they've struggled uh, to recruit offensive, offensive tackles and missing a number of, of top guys in this class. And I think that'll be interesting because LRB and Hypo are really good friends, and LRB mm-hmm. has been with Hypo a lot of steps along the way. And I think that's one of those decisions that, could end up being you know, a really tough one for Heupel to make. But we'll see what happens. And then the one other thing I would say on that, and this isn't even to excuse LRB because 
look, their top the top guys they were going after were all four stars. So obviously that's who they wanted. But I will always say, you know, you brought back the a few years ago under Pruitt the four five stars and then one four star, or maybe even it was all five or all five stars on that offensive line. You know, I don't think that matters as much at offensive line as it does other positions, just because hmm. it's so hard to project. You know, it a lot of these rate rankings. It's not like basketball where you're seeing the best players play each other in AAU. A lot of these kids aren't playing kids their size at the high school level. And then the camps, you know, they're not in full pads. So it's to me, it's really hard to draw in, especially the tackles spots different, which, you know, makes sense when we're talking about the guys, the big time recruits since he's whipped on a tackle. But the interior guys, uh, especially, you can find, I think, good interior guys anywhere. I mean, look at Javante Spragans was a low, low three star recruit, and he's been a good one for him. Cooper Mays, I think, was a, a teetering three, four star. And now he's an all SEC lineman. And you look at, you know, uh, Jackson Lampley in. That doesn't mean he can't help him out down the road, but he was a, a pretty high four-star recruit, and he hasn't found the field yet. So uh, when you look at the interior guys, I think you can find a, a lot of different guys to help out there. But you're right. It, it's going to be interesting to see what happens LRB in the long term. We shall see. Um, well, let's look at uh, a big transfer who's uh, – I'm not really worried about the program uh, for this one. I don't know if you've heard about this. Have you seen this? Tennessee baseball might be pretty good. Uh, might be in good hands with uh, Tony Vitello. And uh, even though you lose your entire outfield, um, it's a good problem to have where you have that, like that's just good recruiting bulletin board where that many guys uh, go in the draft and sign. Um, there was one story, though, about that that was not great, which was Cam Sewell. And folks were wondering if he, what he was going to do because the rotation's pretty much done. Like we, we know who the big three will be on the weekend. So it's like, well, all he can really do because the portal window window closed and he kind of has to pick like what he was kind of in a weird spot. And he was uh, obviously really important in that Florida series, really important uh, in the postseason for Tennessee this year. I am curious to see what his role is going to be, but I, I think that's a pretty big, stabilizer uh for this group just for injuries or whatever like getting cam sewell back i think was uh a, an underrated uh development this offseason where like you the jack alexander just wild card we we're like okay what are the odds this happens and that he signs and goes somewhere else and it's says stevenson getting drafted where he did and he, you lose stevenson lose loss and this that and the other but i think that's a that's a pretty big under the radar win right it's massive. I mean, I don't think you can really overstate how big it is just because, yeah, I probably hear me go on tangent here, but we'll, we'll two, two thoughts. Mm. One, uh, when you look at Cannon Sewell, four years in the program, bullpen mm. guy, he started a couple SEC tournament games, never been a starter. Might not think this is, you know, like you said, he's not really going to have a, a huge path to being a weekend starter this year. Mm. You know, he can't be some sort of stud. From the minute this kid stepped on campus, he has been, in my estimation, no worse at any moment than Tennessee's fifth best pitcher. Not fifth mm. best bullpen arm, fifth best pitcher. I mean, he's been one of the absolute best guys all three seasons that weren't affected by COVID. Over 45 innings, ERA under three. Really, really good, really effective. He's was the Swiss Army knife for him last year, who uh, kind of when you got in the middle SEC play and you started to see uh, some cracks in the armor for a few of those freshman starters and they couldn't get into deep into games, Cameron Sewell was there to throw three or four innings and really stabilize something in a weekend game when things were shaky. I think he's... To me, just as good as Drew Beam, I would give Chase Burns and Chase Dolan there uh, kind of the edge over him. But I think that's just a, a massive get to bring back. And then when you look at uh, the second point here, when you look at Tennessee's bullpen, it was they, need, they needed the stabilizer. You lose Ben Choice, you lose Redmond Walsh, you lose Mark McLaughlin. Feel like I'm forgetting. You lose Will Mabry. You lose mm-hmm. four of your five or five or six top arms in the bullpen, 
And now there's talent there. You, you bring Zach Joyce in, who obviously Ben Joyce's brother, who, who had uh, hadn't played the last few years and quit playing baseball after committing to Tennessee out of Walter State. Uh, you have uh, Wyatt Evans, who has shown potential, has been had a great summer in the Cape Cod League. You have uh, Xander Seacrest, who's shown potential as a midweek starter. You have options. You have guys. Obviously, you have Kirby Canell's kind of a one guy back. But you still haven't, you still have a lot of question marks there. Even mm-hmm. though you feel good about those guys, not a lot of those guys have gone out and proved that they could be really good SEC relievers. Now you're bringing a guy who threw more innings for you than anybody out of the bullpen last year, 50 innings in Camden Sewell, and is the complete Swiss Army knife. He can close, he can come in for long middle relief outings. Uh, I think it's just a, a massive, massive gift for Tennessee. And uh, to me, just as tough, you know, maybe as losing Reggie Crawford was, and, you know, how. Not that I was a huge surprise, but you know, if he would come back, he'd have probably been a top five draft pick. And Camden Sewell is not going to be a top five draft pick next year by any means. But I think that's Camden Sewell coming back is maybe not quite as big as getting Reggie Crawford would have been. But to me, it's right up there, kind of neck and neck. I think it's just huge. He also like took a full time job. Uh, he did. Ben McKee had a really good piece on VolQuest about this, but he was ready to like just walk away from baseball together. Um, so I think it's a pretty big thing uh, for all the reasons that you just uh, laid out here to get him back and talk him out of it and just be like, "Hey, man, those COVID extra years uh, they giveth and they taketh away on a multitude of fronts." Um, also, Griffin Merritt uh, commits. Uh, he transfers from Cincinnati as a grad transfer, not just a transfer. And he, I think he led the AAC in homers last year, right? Uh, yep. If I remember correctly. And you had a really good write-up about him and Rocky Top Insider. But he is someone that you really, like, just another big win you needed to fill this outfield. Because that's the thing. It's like Tennessee has talent to fill the Jordan Beck, Stess Stevenson, um, Drew Gilbert spots. But you would like to have it not just be unproven guys out there. You would like to have at least one name that you're like, all right, I know what I have here and to take some of the pressure off whoever it is out in the outfield for next year, whether it's Christian Moore, whoever like Jared Dickey, we thought might be out there, but Jared Dickey looks like he's going to be behind the plate with um, Jack, uh, with um, Jack Alexander going to the pros. Like I am very curious to see what his upside though is. Cause there's a lot of uh, incoming like third base spot, shortstop and outfield now, big time transfers for very diff- different skill sets. And just you're bringing a lot of folks together because it's different. Like this is going to be a different look with a, not a lot of new faces that have all proven it at different stops, but that's not kind of what happened here the last couple of years in Tennessee, where we saw Jordan, like that photo of Drew Gilbert when he's first on campus and how much his body and just his whole look changed over the course of his time in Knoxville. Like those guys all grew up basically together on, on this roster. And this, this team next year is like, it's going to be a lot of new guys who were there for a very short amount of time uh, that we just hope the chemistry works the same. Because the chemistry was like maybe the most underrated part of this group this past year is they all uh, fought together, got better together, uh, pushed each other. And now uh, with this group, it's uh, it's interesting. It's a high collection of talent, but uh, I'm very interested to see how it works out. But what are, what are the Vols getting in Griffin? Yeah, I'll go with finish off kind of your thought and more than even just chemistry and these two words probably are synonyms to some people but to me it's like the culture of how mm. the expectations in that room and now you don't not only are you bringing in a lot of transfers you don't have a lot of those main returning guys main mm. leaders back and you look at you know who are the best players returning on this team it's chase dolander it's chase burns drew beam and now camden Sewell you can throw in there too but it's like chase burns and drew beam those guys were freshmen last year that's mm. it's not easy to step in as a sophomore and be a 
a huge leader. So I think you're right. I think that's going to be a huge point and something worth watching in the fall. But going to Merritt, I think you also hit the nail on the head. And I've said this a handful of times. To me, it's so huge because just what you said, you have a lot of options in outfield. I don't think there was any reason to panic. But you wanted to have at least one guy you felt really good about. Mm. And that was Jared Dickey. You know, he was going to catch a little bit, you know, maybe a game on the weekend. He was going to be an option there. But more times than not, he was going to be in left field. When mm. Jack Alexander signs with the Royals, that just completely gets flipped on its head. And all of a sudden now, Dickey's going to have to do a lot of what Evan Russell did and basically be what I expect to be a full-time catcher. And mm. granted, Dickey's going to have a year of head start on Russell because he kind of was going through and doing the same thing with him last year as a utility man and working a lot at catcher but with him having to play catcher that leaves three spots open in the outfield and that leaves you know all other eight spots on the field position spots on the field open and new starters and maybe not open because i think some of the transfers have those jobs locked down pretty good but to bring merit in and to bring a guy that you say all right he's gonna be your starting left fielder you feel really good about that aac rating player of the year i think that's huge and then you look at like I said, Tennessee has plenty of bodies. You bring back Christian Scott, you bring back Kyle Booker, maybe Logan Chambers is a guy that can kind of have a Jarrell Ortega situation where he comes out of Juco, has a lot of expectations, was really good in his first fall, and then struggles and doesn't play much. That's exactly what happened to Jarrell Ortega. He comes back next year, one of the best players on a team. Logan Chambers can maybe be a guy like that too. And then you have the newcomers, Colby Backus from Walter State. And then I think I've said it on here before too, two of Tennessee's top four or five signees uh, our outfield guys, Reese mm. Chapman from out in Colorado, who was the MVP of the high school all-star game at, uh, at the MLB all-star game last year when it was out in Colorado. And then Alex Danwich, uh, who is from Illinois, and was a guy Tennessee was worried about in the draft a little bit who didn't get selected. So uh, I think you have plenty of bodies there. You have plenty of options, which you had before. But I think you feel a lot better when all of a sudden you only have to fill two spots in the outfield instead of all three. Yeah, and it just won't be like a rebuilding year. Like this is more of a retooling where it was going to be a rebuilding situation if it was that if they were not able to get the Zanes and Griffiths of the world. Like I think you were looking at like a lot of talent, just really young and they're just you were in for a potentially rough uh rough in terms of uh Tennessee baseball to what we've come to know the last couple of years. Uh, but I think they'll be able to avoid that and be one of the better better teams and still be what in that top four range in the SEC next year. Yeah, oh yeah, I think so. I think maybe I'm too high on them, but I think you know LSU won in the SEC, Tennessee too, and mm. you know I think Arkansas probably a close three. But well, when I look at it, I think you look at the SEC East. Vanderbilt's been, you know, I always expect Vanderbilt to, to bounce back, but they've been decimated pretty badly by both the portal and the draft mm. uh, this off season. And you know, I, obviously South Carolina is still down. Florida has talent which they have had uh, much of the last few years and they haven't really been able to put it all together. So to me, I see Tennessee as a clear-cut favorite in the SEC East, and I think uh, they're going to be able to compete for the SEC once again. There you go. Um, all right. Well, we end with this. Butler, the Butler Bulldogs, Tennessee, uh, schedule a date this fall. What are you, what do you make about the Butler? It just, it's kind of sad that Butler has just fallen off so much in the last couple of years, because I think, I mean, if you even look at this five years ago, you're like, wow, this is a big, yeah. this would be awesome. And also, let's do this in Hinkle. Like, uh, like why would the, that would be so cool. I bet you you'd get a lot of Tennessee people because it's not a crazy drive uh, from Knoxville to Indiana for a Butler just to go to the, the field house once and see a game and Tennessee play there. And I'm sure Barnes would love to play there. But uh, what do you make about the Butler-Tennessee uh, date? Yeah, well, actually, Tennessee played a home-and-home with Butler back yeah. a couple of years ago. Um, and I think mm. maybe the game in Hinkle was Barnes' first year. And you're right, 
it's it seems like just the resources uh, Butler has is and now in the Big East they're really lacking behind and that's a tough mm. job and I want to say they've missed the NCAA tournament four straight years and before that they'd made it I think like 10 of the previous 13 years like it, it is kind of sad uh, what's happened to that program but it'll be interesting Thad Mata back at his alma mater where mm. he really started his head coaching career back over 20 years ago now that'll be really interesting I think this is a game you know in this year that I'd be pretty shocked if Tennessee doesn't take care of down in uh, the Bahamas, and then I think that sets up for what I feel like Tennessee got a pretty good draw in that whole bad boy mowers uh, battle for Atlantis tournament. And mm-hmm. we don't get either USC uh, or BYU in the second game. I would think USC would probably be the favorite coming into the season. And then you know, on the other side, you have Kansas, you have Wisconsin, uh, North Carolina State, and I think Dayton is that last team. So really good field. I think Tennessee got a good draw where I think clearly Kansas is the crop of the tournament, and then Wisconsin and Tennessee are kind of clearly the two and three. In some order, Tennessee, uh, the tournament, I guess, organizers view Tennessee as the two. They put them on the opposite side of Kansas. And uh, I think Butler is a good tune-up game. And then I think USC or BYU will be a really good challenge. But I, I think Tennessee here three months out before I've watched Tennessee practice uh, for a second this year. I think Tennessee will, will take care of both those games and, and maybe get a matchup with Kansas in that championship. There you go. There you go. Ryan Shepard, what can the good folks check out from you at Rocky Top Insider this weekend? Yeah, so plenty of uh, football stuff all week. Practice observations, we'll have those both of, on Saturday and Sunday as the team gets back on the field. Uh, kind of a, a Camden Sewell had a write-up on that, explaining that whole situation, which was it's going to be an interesting year for him. He's working 40 hours a week, like you kind of noted. He's going to grad school. He's playing baseball. That's an interesting situation, and, man, it shows the struggles that these college baseball coaches have where kid can't get graduates, can't get the Hope Scholarship anymore, and, He's got to take a full-time job, basically, to try to um, help pay for some college. So stuff on that, stuff on Griffin Merritt as well. Plenty of uh, a full recap of, of the MLB draft and kind of what Tennessee's roster is looking like going into the fall. So plenty of stuff on football, plenty of stuff on baseball. And then as basketball thing gets uh, rolling into, uh, into the fall, we'll have plenty of stuff on that as well. There you go. Ryan Shepard, always a pleasure. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds great. All right, that'll do it for Local Hour 2 here on the Sunday, August 7th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Moments Podcast. Thank you again to Ryan for coming on uh, today's edition of the program. If you enjoyed our conversation, please, please, please make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If that is indeed how you listen to today's program, helps other people find the show and it helps this very show continue to grow. Uh, Hour 2 coming up uh, here on a Sunday. We got Preds Power Hour with... Brian Baston and Charlie Burris right after this. And then sports reporters, uh, uh, wow, sports reporters assembling here on a Sunday as well as they do at this time every week with uh, Andrew Hammond and uh, Bobby Silverman. So uh, all that coming up on the Jam Pack Sunday edition of the program. Just a weird uh, local hour uh, scheduling situation here on the weekend. But thank you guys for your patience and we'll be back to normal next week. But yeah. Uh, Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.